Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 170, and it is titled, How Religion Messed Up My Sex Life with Matthew Sinkovitz. Now, before anybody has a heart attack, because I'm sure there are plenty of religious people that listen to our show. I know some people are like, yeah, but you're talking about sex. Like how many religious people are listening to your show? Actually, a lot of them, because everybody has sex. They might have different rules around sex, but they have sex. So before anybody gets offended by anything that we're going to say... Just know that every system, every religion has its positive aspects and its negative aspects. We're not telling you you shouldn't be your particular religion. We're not telling you you should be any particular religion. We're just going to talk about how some religions can have negative impacts on your sex life. And if you experience that, maybe some things that you could do about it to help fix that. All right. Has everybody got that now? You're all calm before we get spammed with a bunch of comments. Great. Okay. Let's continue. So let's give a big shout out to our sponsors, Power and Mastery. If you want to join the secret club of men who are great in bed, then check out Power and Mastery at powerandmastery.com. It is the most complete sexual mastery training for men, whether you want to have harder erections, last longer, or increase your sexual skills. There is something for you at powerandmastery.com. Our guest today is Matt Sinkovitz. He has been a teacher of personal and spiritual development for over a decade. An ordained Buddhist minister and mindfulness counselor, Matt is an avid practitioner of meditation and the mindfulness arts. Matt began his studies in Buddhism and new thoughts as a young adult, seeking resolution to his own personal life dilemmas. Overcoming his 20-plus years compulsive relationship with porn, Matt has been inspired to share his journey and support other men in their path to freedom. Matt is passionate about his mission to guide men in ending the habit of watching porn so they can reignite the passion in their marriages and be better role models to their children. Welcome, Matt, to the Love Lab Podcast. Linda Kevin, thanks so much for having me today. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, so we're just going to dive right in as we usually do and just really get right at the heart of the issue. So obviously the focus of this episode is really, it's about how religion can sometimes negatively impact your sex life. And I know that you have some personal experiences about that. And so we kind of want to dive into that a little bit deeper so we can get a feel for you know, what your experience was, how it influenced, you know, who you were, and then how you've become who you are today. So starting out with our first question is, tell us a little bit about your religious upbringing so that the the audience can get an understanding of kind of where you started out. Sure, sure. Thanks for the question. Yeah, so I grew up, I grew up in church, you know, I was like, uh, grew up in the Pentecostal church. Um, So, um, very kind of leaning in the direction of like non-denominational, grew up very charismatic um, revival was going on in our church growing up in, in, in the Christian church. Um, you know, speaking in tongues, um, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, people being slain in the Spirit, um, like really kind of a, a, a intensive, like stuff you might see, like a, maybe like the Southern Baptist kind of, um, you know, 
Christian uh, tradition. Um, so born in the church, uh, I, I know like up through church, even into my teens at church, you know, three or four days a week, grew up doing missions work and uh, prison ministry work with my parents. So heavily, heavily influenced by church up up through my, my younger years, up into my teens. Um, and ultimately, I moved away from, you know, Christianity as my predominant faith, like around my, my mid-20s and ultimately moved into the Buddhist tradition, where I, where I currently kind of reside and currently serve as an interfaith minister, kind of working between the Christian faith and, and the Buddhist tradition as well. So it's very interesting because when you're describing the uh, church and, and, and some of the things that they do, some people might be thinking like, wow, this is amazing, you know, like miracles happen and there's this community and deep faith and bonding that happens and you should just be like so happy and connected and connected to God or whatever the creator or whatever you want to call that bigger uh, energy, right? Uh, but what I'm a bit curious is, how did that really translate for you? And how did it affect maybe even just your sexuality, especially as a young adult, as a late teen and young adult, as you are probably battling between the urges you're going through in your body and what you're being told and probably pressure from the church. So tell us more about how that affected your sexuality uh, at that time. Yeah, so, you know, um, it's interesting, and I want to preface this conversation with saying that I think my parents did the best they could or the best that they knew how at the time, you know, so I want to, I want to like paint that in the proper light, but just growing up in that really religious kind of context, I think there's, there's a couple factors at play. One, the conversation around sex is a very taboo conversation. So there's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of, I think, repression and, and suppression around our sexuality. We're not really given a lot of space, a lot of room to explore our sexuation or our sexuality or, or have a lot of conversation around it. Um, so therefore, you know, we kind of got to find it on our own. And that for me, you know, came in the form of early childhood sexual experiences and, you know, pornography and stuff like that, that a lot of kids get their hands on and kind of figuring your sexuality out between, you know, just navigating it on your own and um, what your friends are telling you, you know? And I think, I think, so I think that's the one thing. I think the second thing is I didn't have a lot of space or a lot of opportunity to really have the conversation around sexuality comfortably. You know, it always kind of felt like an awkward conversation in our home and with other adults. So I think it wasn't like normalized for me at an early age. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the experience that a lot of us had. Um, you know, I mean, I grew up in a, in a somewhat religious family too. I mean, we weren't doing like rescue mission work or anything like that, but you know, we went to church every Sunday and, and did that kind of stuff and celebrated all the holidays and things like that. But yeah, the conversation of sex really was just not ever had ever. It just was something that wasn't talked about. It was not modeled in any way at home. You know, I mean, my personal opinion is obviously it has to be age appropriate, but when we're talking about children growing up, it, it is important for children to understand that sex is something that exists and you have to start laying those healthy foundations little by little as it's appropriate for a particular child's age. But I know in my own personal upbringing, it basically just didn't exist inside the family. Like it just, if you didn't have outside sources, you know, like friends and, and things like that, you know, get a hold of your friend's older brother's magazine. Like if it wasn't for that kind of stuff, you wouldn't <laughs> even know it existed. And I think, I think that's not particularly healthy either. So I'm curious now, um, 
you told us a little bit about, you know, how there was lack of conversation and, and that sort of thing. But I'm curious, like, could you maybe explain to us, like, an example or two of how this really affected you? Like, is there a particular, uh, you know, thing that happened or a particular relationship that went a certain way? Is there something there that would help illustrate for people kind of how your wires got crossed as a result of this upbringing? Uh, I think, I'm not sure if I can speak to a specific situation. I think for me, I just, I never felt very comfortable in my own sexuality. I didn't really feel like the the conversation was a normal conversation. I think I felt like sexually awkward in my own skin. And I think the biggest experience I could speak to would be like coming into contact with pornography at a young age, um, you know, probably 10, 11, somewhere in there. Oh, wow, that's and that young. really, yeah, yeah. And, and that really, and, and that's, I think that's, I, you know, I, I connect with a lot of men who are, you know, who, who share their stories around that. And that's actually a pretty normal age, 10, 11, 12, 13, as some kids as early as five, six, seven, eight, I hear, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think I think the the combination of kind of my own sexual awkwardness that I experienced and never feeling really quite comfortable sexually in my own skin um, as, as a child, um, combined with kind of, I think a lot of my exploration, again, being through maybe early childhood sexual experiences or, um, uh, you know, again, again, uh, developing a relationship with pornography early on and that kind of steering me. And, and I think that really took the form of my early sexual development and kind of like my early understanding of intimacy and really formed a lot of my sexuality and my, my perception of women and uh, the whole conversation up through my teens and into my 20s. Yeah, and see, so that, unfortunately, is one of the big problems, right? Because you didn't have any real talk about it or, you know, like you said, you couldn't really have a conversation about it. You felt super awkward about it. So your only real exposure to it was through the porn, which started relatively early. Now, you know, we, we've done multiple shows on porn before, so we're not going to go too deep down the porn rabbit hole. But um, the important thing to state yet again on this show is that porn is not real life, right? So when you're talking about how you're forming your opinions about women and relationships and sexuality, you're basing it all on something that isn't real and something that isn't teaching you the right things, you know, porn can have some value for some people as entertainment, but don't ever think that you're going to learn how to be a good partner, a good lover, or really any of that stuff. If, if it has any value at all, it's pure entertainment. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that's really, really interesting. I'm, I'm curious then, too. So you, you mentioned a little bit about how that affected you. I'm curious what effect that had on relationships you had, girlfriends, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, that's a good question. I think um, I, th- I think it, it did two things. Um, first of all, I think it kind of gives men um, this like uh, standard or expectation in terms of what we're supposed to measure up to or how we're supposed to perform, or really kind of giving us the impression or the idea that sex is about performance. You know what I mean? And and we're kind of we're or maybe we're comparing ourselves to some imaginary or made up standard in our minds in terms of what what sex is supposed to be, what sexuality is supposed to be, what performance. Has, is supposed to be. Thank God, I moved away from that idea in my own life. Um, and 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 secondly, I think the the bigger impact for me was that I, I porn was a real refuge for me. It was like almost, I would certainly say it was like a drug for me through my like my teens into my into my twenties. 
And I think I used it like a lot of people maybe use drugs or cigarettes or food and stuff like that. So for me, I was going to pornography and I had this relationship with pornography, which was also very secretive. And I was going to that just as much or maybe sometimes even more than I was connecting with partners, you know? So because of that, I was, I was, I would think I was more, more awkward uh, sexually in relationships and certainly more withdrawn, um, I think sexually within relationships. And, you know, so like, I'm, I'm, you know, there's like, there's things that you're hiding within your relationship. And it's certainly, I think, impacting the level at which you're connecting and engaging sexually, or maybe have interests sexually within relationships. So there are a few things I want to come back to. Um, I do want to talk a bit more about when you hit rig bo- rock bottom and kind of how bad it was and then also how you pulled yourself out of there but there was something you said earlier that I wanted to come back to before we dive into that when you were mentioning the the guilt and shame associated with the sexuality due to the religious upbringing and these are the exact words that pretty much every client who have gone through uh, religious upbringing tell us and I was curious to hear from your point of view Matt what did you do how did you come to peace uh, with that guilt and shame? Like, is there a specific practice or what process were you able to do to not be hindered uh, by that any longer? Or are you still hindered by it? Maybe. No, no I appreciate that. That's a good question. Well, first, first for me was ending my relationship with pornography. I'm totally abstinent from porn now. So I think for, for me, there was a lot of kind of just crappy feelings that came up for me around my relationship with porn, guilt, shame and stuff like that. So, Ending that, I think, um, removed a lot of the the, the sexual awkwardness um, for me. Um, but beyond that, as I think I was able to kind of just like just some some correcting, and I think some healing was kind of able to be done on its own. Uh, uh, just continuing to explore my own sexuality and uh, really a lot of practices around self love and self acceptance for me. You know, just kind of like recognizing that my that my humanity is very normal and natural and the things that I experience are just part of the normal human experience. And, you know, uh, there doesn't have to be guilt and shame around it. I, I remember, I don't know if every, like what everyone's experience is, is about this, but I just, um, I remember like, like as a young kid, like my first experience with masturbation, I remember like, uh, as soon as I like ejaculated for the first time, I felt, I immediately felt like guilty for some reason. I had like these feelings of like, guilt and, and some kind of shame or something that was something inherently bad that I associated with that at, at an early age, which is, I, I distinctly remember that experience and that feeling. So I don't know why, uh, what, what, why that was there, if that was like imprinted upon me, or if that was just, I don't know, something that people experience. But I would say the two things are one, ending my relationship with, with porn and, ex, uh, and, and exploring and getting more comfortable with my own sexuality and what sexual, healthy sexual connection looked like. Um, and, and two, along with that, are some very consistent practices that I engage in still today of just self-love and self-acceptance. Well, you know, I can't speak for the brand of religion uh, that you were raised because the brand that I was raised was a little bit different. But I can tell you in the brand that I was raised, I know why you would feel guilty about masturbation because they outright tell you that you shouldn't do it, that it goes right. against God, that you're going to get hairy palms. that like <laughs> Or go all, blind. Or go blind. Or like yeah, they guilt the f- fuck out of you (laughs) for doing something that is absolutely 100% normal. Like even animals masturbate, you know, so. (laughs) Of of babies in the womb. And and I will take this a step further where I'm like, 
uh, if you do believe in a God or something bigger, then why would this person have given you a sex and ability to have sexual activity if it wasn't going to be okay, you know? <laughs> why would he make your arm long enough to reach your penis? <laughs> <laughs> or your vagina. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're having a lot of fun here. Uh, but I would love for you, Matt, maybe just to... Uh, to tell us more about when you hit rock bottom and uh, what 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 do you, what did you do like how bad was your life then and then we'll start turning the light on and talking about all the happier stuff after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so rock bottom. It, it's interesting. Um, you know, it wasn't like a, I wouldn't say like my rock bottom with pornography was like. You know, I lost my job and, you know, I was, got divorced and all this stuff. I'm, I'm not married, nor, nor was I married at the time. But for me, it was just, I think it was like a waking up and a recognition. You know, I was in my 30s and I continued to maintain this relationship with pornography. And, and something that I've identified in, in, in the clients that I work with is there's a couple key indicators, you know, that someone may use to kind of identify if, if porn is unhealthy for them. And, and one is, you know, is it something I've tried to quit? in the past, or I've told myself I want to quit or end my relationship with, and I continue to go back, you know? So that was the, uh, that was the uh, kind of awareness that I had, that I, I had really gotten clear on myself that porn was having a negative impact on my life. And it was adversely affecting like mostly every key area in my life, in including the work that I felt called to be doing, but I continued to go back to it. I continued to go back and I, it felt like way out of integrity for me. So for me, it was being a young adult in my thirties, knowing like very clearly that porn was really unhealthy for me, attempting to end my relationship with porn, um, you know, like for decades maybe, and continuing to go back over and over again, like letting myself down and continuing just to repeat this cycle over and over and really feeling as though I was in a, in a prison, you know? And um, yeah. And, and, and just, uh, just the way it was, it was creeping into every aspect of my life and the way that I just could not kick the habit, no matter, no matter how much I tried. And then, Anybody who has a relationship with porn longstanding can maybe speak to the way in which genres continue to get more graphic and more extreme. And, you know, you kind of like need like the harder drug in order to, in order to experience, you know, the, the, um, the fulfillment from it, you know? So just kind of like noticing that my, I, I wasn't getting any younger. I wasn't able to stop. And like that, like the, the, my relationship with porn continued to evolve and it was continuing to affect my sexuality and every impact, you know, every area of my life. So it was kind of like, I would say a, a span of time, which kind of, I had this growing awareness. And, and for me, you know, porn's one of those things that uh, most people, um, most unsuccessfully, I would say kind of reckon, especially if they have a compulsive relationship with it, like I did. Um, if they recognize they have a problem with it, they typically try and end on their own, which is what I've tried to do, you know, try and figure it out yourself. because it's a very secretive kind of very private. There's a lot of guilt and shame around it. It's not something we feel a lot of Liberty around speaking about with others or admitting to others. Um, so for me, I ended up uh, investing in working with a coach and I put a couple grand down on a group program and got into accountability, got into community, learned the skills, did the deep work around my root relationship with pornography and, and my sexuality. And I really had to dig in and make a, make a, a, a big, you know, commitment and investment and, and do the deep work around it. You know, so that was, that was, that was me really drawing the line in the sand. I find it very interesting because the way you described porn and, and some of the feelings, I was like, 
It's kind of very similar to the religion. <laughs> you know, you kind of substitute one from a, for the other, but the the feelings and some of the guilt, some of the secrecy, because same, you know, when you go to talk to your priest or there's things you only say like in private and those acts right. you can't do, like, I'm like, wow, it's actually very similar in terms of like what you generate for your feelings. Yeah. There. But, and do you notice that a lot of times when people suffer from addiction, whether it's, you know, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, whatever, and they go through through their 12-step program, one of the things that the program does is substitute religion for the addiction. So isn't that interesting? So here in your case, it was the other way around. The religion led to the addiction. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times for other people, it's the addiction leads to the the religion. religion. But Mm -hmm. what it shows you is that they both have some similar aspects or they wouldn't fit in interchangeably as well as they do in both directions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, before we continue, let's give a little shout out to our sponsors. Today, it's Kevin and us. And we are inviting uh, any couples who are feel stuck in a rut and going through the daily motion instead of connecting the way you used to. So if you're tired of stale mechanical sex that lacks spontaneity and fun, and you don't want to live a life of average, then we would like to invite you to join a highly sexed power couple platinum program. If you give us 90 days, we will help you bring the passion back between the sheets and be synced up sexually so that you can thrive with more purpose and passion in life. So go to CelineRemy.com forward slash passion to learn more about our wonderful coaching program. Okay, so we've kind of we've kind of veered off down the porn rabbit hole, but it was totally relevant to the discussion. So that's awesome. But I want to bring it back a little bit to the religion aspect, which is really more of the the premise of this particular show. So you told us a little bit in the beginning about, um, you know, your religious upbringing and your family history and all that. And then we kind of got into how that affected your relationship to sexuality. But I also know, uh, because we had a pre-interview with you. (laughs) And he mentioned it earlier too. That's true. And he did, and it was in his bio. (laughs) We also know that you are not practicing the uh, religion you were raised and that you've actually moved to a different system and philosophy. And I'm just curious, what was it that prompted you to kind of change your spiritual belief system or philosophy? And then the second part of the question is, how has that affected your relationship to sex? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. Um, so for me, I, you know, I don't, I think, I think how I would frame it up for myself is I think my, my spiritual um, perspective and viewpoints and philosophy have more evolved, you know? So I was raised in, 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 in the Christian church, as I mentioned, in, at least in the setting that I was raised in, it was very dogmatic, you know, it was very formal and there was a lot of rules and it's like, here's God in a box, you know what I mean? And, and here's what God is and here are the rules and here's where you have to stay. And, and here's, here's death and here's life and here's everything in between. And um, I don't know, just, there's just a really rigid framework, you know? And, and for me, I think what, what felt more relevant to me was a more universal, I think, experience or, or um, kind of relationship with God and what that meant. So for me, I think I more outgrew the framework that I was given. I still, to this day, I would say I'm a student of the teachings of Christ, but I think I have a more evolved kind of understanding of, of what that meant, you know, seeing Christ as more of a, a, a way shower than a savior. Now, some people may hear that and really, it might really turn them off, but for some people it might resonate. And, and, and for me, I was thinking, I think I was looking for a more, uh, more universal um, 
perspective or approach to God and to spirituality um, and, and, and to myself, you know? So, so for me, I found myself, <coughs> excuse me, about age 25 in a really deep, dark um, depression and uh, really like suicidal uh, thoughts and stuff like that. And I was at a really low point. And again, the, the, the philosophy, the answers that I had been given as a child and kind of growing up were not, were not satisfying me anymore. And it was at that point when I was really feeling a victim of my mind, trapped in my own mind and really suffering a great deal that I found mindfulness and meditation and ultimately Buddhism. And that's kind of what, what led me to my path today, just like finding, looking for some kind of relief around who I was. Again, I felt really uncomfortable in my own skin and really uncomfortable with myself and didn't like myself. So for me, it was really what prompted that. That um, And I would say from, you know, my teens, I was really heavily involved in church. Uh, I would say like 18 or 19, I kind of moved away from church. And I was kind of just like godless for, for you know, seven, eight years until kind of this, this time of my life was kind of prompted around my, mid, my mid-20s. So um, for me, it was just a really, a really deep, dark time of my life that prompted me to find something else. I had to find some sort of salvation. I found it within myself and I found it within the Buddhist philosophy, which I, I understand not to be a religion, but more a philosophy for a, a, a more peaceful life, you know, a more peaceful way of being. Um, and I found self-love and compassion through that. So I was going to follow up with a question about whether or not you ever experienced a period of time where you considered yourself atheist, but you've already answered that question because you said you, you had a period of about seven or eight years you were godless. So I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever talked about this on the show, but I have had a theory for a number of years now that there are essentially three stages that people go through when it comes to religion. And you literally just described it Perfectly. I'm going to sum it up really fast for the audience if you didn't catch it. Here it is. Stage one, you are born, you are given a religion from your parents or the people around you, right? So you have no choice in it. You were born into a Pentecostal family, you're Pentecostal, right? That's how it is. If you continue to do the work and develop, you will inevitably find holes in every single religious system that exists. I don't care which one it is, you will find holes in it. And if you are curious, you will go, hmm wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Generally, what happens is then you move on to stage two. Stage two is when you've done enough uh, exploration and inquiry into your religion that you suddenly decide, this is all bullshit. Like, this is, no, this is bullshit. I don't want any part of it. God doesn't exist. And that's just how it is. So that's the atheist stage. So any atheists listening, sorry, I don't mean to insult you that you're stuck in stage two, but there is usually a stage after that, which would be stage three. Stage three is you continue on the path. You continue to grow and evolve and learn and inevitably Life will throw circumstances at you where you will experience things that you cannot explain in the physical world, right? Things will happen to you. You'll have experiences. You'll change things in your circumstance that you'll sit there going, but the laws of physics don't apply to that. How in the world could that possibly be, right? And then you realize, okay, well, I, I studied all that religious stuff that I was brought up with, and I could see all the places where that didn't make any sense. But now I've spent however much time being in the atheist, and I'm realizing that there's holes in that too, 
And that doesn't necessarily make sense. So then you come around and you go, okay, I don't really know who or what God is. All I know is that there is very obviously something bigger than just this physical world. I don't know what it is. I don't, you can call it whatever name you want to call it, but I call that third stage real like spirituality where you realize that there is more than just this physical world and that there is very likely a force greater than just humans here on this planet. We think we're the top of the food chain, not, not at all the case. And, and so then you start to have a very different um, relationship with your spirituality. And what I love is, is you literally described that with your experience perfectly. Like that is literally the process that you went through. And honestly, I mean, I created that theory because it's the process I went through. <laughs> I didn't just make that up out of thin air. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for, for uh, corroborating my theory that I've had for a number of years. Yeah, it was a very natural progression, you know, very, very natural progression. So I want to talk about um, purpose also in life and... I want to see like having found that new place where you like have, I don't know if we'd call it faith again, but just a place where there's a bigger purpose, where there's something bigger, this new philosophy, mm -hmm. this new connection with yourself through the meditation, the self-love practices. How did that uh, make a difference uh, in your life to find that new purpose again? And, and how did that affect you? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 <clears throat> excuse me, I felt like I had a, you could say a calling in my life. I had a sense that there was something greater and something that something greater that I was here to do. Uh, I think I began to sense that around my twenties or so. Um, and, and so for me, um, you know, I, I think the, the self, the, my, actually, could you ask the question again? I want to make sure I'm clear on it. I'm sorry. Um, When you found that new purpose in life and in, yeah. in yourself, the new connections, how did that uh, affect you, like dealing with life? How differently did you start doing things? Did you, you know, and does it make a difference to have a purpose and go after it, right? Yeah. Okay. I think, I think I, I, I got you. Um, yeah. So, so for me, I, as I mentioned, I, I felt like I had uh, a calling on my life in some sense of purpose. And, and for me, once I, Uh, if, if it's okay, I'll speak. I'll speak to my sexuality and I'll speak to my my early relationship with pornography. Since we kind of touched on that, I felt like the the conflict that I was experiencing there, um, and, and the way that pornography was very toxic to me in, in my life, was really um, was really inhibiting me from my sense of purpose, from my greater self, the work that I was called here to be doing. I felt very much out of out of integrity and out of alignment with that. So so for me, clearing that part of my life up really helped me. I think connect to my greater sense of purpose and by connecting to my greater sense of purpose, the work that I felt called to be doing and the way that I felt called to live my life and the way that I felt contribute um, my life really, I stepped more into my purpose and by connecting with that purpose, I was held to a higher standard for the way that I wanted to live my life and the way that I was conducting myself and showing up. So if you had to summarize what your purpose is in life, what would it be? Mm. My purpose is to, is to recognize and, and live more into my own divinity every single day and help others do the same. All right. So in your opinion, 
what kind of traits do men need to develop then to improve their sex life and relationship? Uh, yeah, what 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 do you think they should start to focus on? Yeah, to improve their their relationship with their own sexuality. Right? Exactly, and self mm. too, because it's all connected anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I'll speak from my own experience. One, I think, really taking a close look at. Um, at, at, our, at our sexuality and like what's healthy and what's not. And I think that's pretty obvious and apparent, you know, um, like for me, again, I recognize that like after a certain level of awareness and consciousness, I just began to really recognize my, the, the unhealthy relationship between pornography and, and a healthy life for me, the adverse of feelings and emotions that I was experiencing around pornography and, and the ways that it was adversely affecting every key area of my life. So for me, I had to take a close look at the way, I was maintaining a relationship with pornography and the impacts that was having on my sexuality. And I had to get that cleaned up Um, because it was definitely, uh, again, I think creating a lot of sexual confusion, a lot of sexual uh, disorientation, a lot of sexual awkwardness. Um, So I think taking a look at at your current relationship with your sexuality and saying like what's healthy and what's not, and really disgaging that uh, based upon our experience with it. Um, And I think, Number two is, is really cult, uh, cultivating healthier and more consistent practices of self-love and self-acceptance and recognizing that the emotions, the feelings, the, the experiences that I'm having are just a part of being human. And my intention and my practice is to really fully love, accept, and embrace all aspects of me, my darkness and my light. So full, full self-acceptance and really living from, from our higher self or from our true north recognizing all those pieces are there, but there's like a, there's a higher piece of us that really guides us and directs us. And I think leads us to a more noble life of integrity. All right. Noble life of integrity. I like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, we can call it our higher selves. You know, you, you, you use the term something about something higher than we are. You can call it our higher selves. You could call it God, universal energy, spirit, whatever you want to call it. But just kind of bringing this back around to the idea of spirituality is like we we kind of opened the show with this premise that like you know your religion messed up your sex life but spirituality can fix it spirituality Mm -hmm. can literally fix it and that they're not separate sexuality and spirituality go hand in hand but you got to come to that place of that marriage where you are bringing in the spiritual aspect, the sacredness into your sexuality. And that's, I think, how they can both coexist and they no longer have to be pushed away. You can have both together. So, Matt, this has been a great discussion. Where can our listeners uh, connect with you and find more about you? Sure. Um, so, so the work I'm primarily focused on is uh, helping men and their their habit of watching pornography. I run an online uh, Facebook community. So you can find me easily on Facebook at um, Making Peace with Porn is our private men's only group where we've got a group of men from around the world doing this work. And um, we are very much interfaith. So we've got men from all traditions. We've got a lot of Christian men and we've got a lot of men who maybe lean more on the spiritual side of things. You know, again, I, I, I'm a lot of, lot of Buddhist principles involved in our work as well. So Making Peace with Porn, or you can send me an email directly if you're looking for more immediate support at makingpeacewithporn at gmail.com. Wonderful. And now we come to our very last question, our favorite question. What is your best sexual talent, Matt? My best sexual talent? You know what? I could, I could name some, like, some, some special trick or something like that, but I think for me it's really, um, I really like, love and appreciate intimacy, so I think it's presence and connection. 
which makes you know intimacy really 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 beautiful and special to me oh yeah the presence piece is a big piece that we teach in our programs like the programs Mm -hmm. that we uh, uh, advertised in the very beginning of the show and we consider it one of the superpowers of a great lover so that's a Mm -hmm. good talent to have good job Matt (laughs) thank you All right, all right. Well, uh, I think we we covered some good ground there. Uh, We probably offended some people and then uh, didn't offend others. So hopefully inspired others. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's right. We offended some and inspired others. (laughs) All in all, I think that it was a fantastic discussion. We want to thank you, Matt, for being on the show with us today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have for this episode, and we will see you next week. We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab Podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at CelineRemy.com forward slash vault. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y dot com forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing. <laughs>